0: Hello everyone and welcome to this week's edition of Unhedged. I'm your host Frank Troyce, and I'm really looking forward to this week's broadcast. Each week we try to present you with the most diverse group of panelists and speakers that one can find anywhere. These range from theologians to portfolio managers, hedge fund managers, politicians, you name it. If they've written a book we're going to have them on air talking about it. And by the way we're not going to follow a scripted organized discussion but rather have a free-form discussion so that we can talk about the things that are top of mind and more importantly ask the questions that you would probably have asked yourself feel free to recommend the show to friends and colleagues and with that let's get on with this week's edition of unhedged today's broadcast is brought to you today by oracle oracle helps customers develop roadmaps migrate to the cloud and take advantage of emerging technologies from any point these include new cloud deployments, on-prem environments, and hybrid implementations. Oracle's approach makes it easy for companies to get started in the cloud, and even easier to expand as business grows. For more information, go to sohocap.com slash unhedged, and we can provide free cloud credits to our listeners. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Unhedged. I'm your host, Frank Troyce and I'm delighted, as always, to have Andre Smith with me here today. And Andres, in our prior segment, you you literally, as we were saying offline, you could have written a book about uh, your time in Asia and the experience that you had. And I can tell you right now, I can think of seven firms that would that would absolutely love to talk with you to to compare scar tissue. Let, let's take a bigger picture and assume for a second we're sitting across the the government, and and you know here you have, and let's just use the United States as a uh, as an initial strawman in the discussion. What what? How should Western societies be looking at if we oversimplified it? China, because to, you said something subtle before, where once the direction was set, you were amazed at how things were executed and 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 delivered. And so I'll, I'll give it to you as two questions: One, should we be worried about China? And and if so, or if not, what is a more practical way for the West to be looking at? The, the benefits of a positive relationship? Because it seems like, in a way, you you actually achieve that. And I'm wondering how much of that, you know, the government should be copy-pasting.
1: Yeah, I mean, worry is a strong word. Um, for me, I can just see um, change happening. And change brings both threats and opportunities. And it depends on how we embrace that, uh, which one do we end up? Does it become an opportunity or does it become a threat? Um, you know, as I as I mentioned in the first segment, we talked about, um, and, and, and not my my brilliance, at, uh, allocated to Chris Skinner, who came up with this notion about. The West economies, the East economies, and the Southern economies all have different dilemmas and and different challenges that need to solve. You know, if we just quickly recap in the the West, it's all about the legacy. We've got vested business models, strong businesses, but struggling to innovate. East is really about growth, the emergence of new wealth and new behaviors, and and the South trying to do the same as the East, but with much less resources and, and infrastructure. So if we focus on the on, on those top two, I, I really believe it's all about partnerships, and and will be about partnerships. I mean, I don't have a crystal ball; I don't know how it's going to manifest. Um, but what my hypothesis, at least, is is you can't sit and do nothing. West and East has to dance together. Um, you know, in the West, we bring experience, know-how. If I if I just talk about insurance as a as a, as an example. Um, we have over 300 years of pains and learnings about how to price and underwrite properly. You know, selling insurance is one thing. Selling profitable insurance, sustainable insurance, is a very, very different thing. And we're seeing in Asia, as an example, that some of the new emerging insurtechs, you know, the larger uh, companies, uh, they are still Having to learn some of that sophistication, yeah, the, the, um, uh, their profits are, are, are very low. They are bleeding. It's, it's because they have to still learn that. Now, the beauty for me is if you bring that wealth of experience from the West, lack of uh, innovation because of all this legacy dilemma from the West, and you merge that with this unbelievable execution capability of the East, then you have a marriage made in heaven. The the, the challenge, though, is what we talked about in the second segment, is that really, to be able for the West and the East to dance, you need to learn a new dance. We've got to take the egos out of the equation. And my way is better. I'm going to teach you. You know, that doesn't work either way. It really needs to be a humble embracing of looking at the problem and solving it. And and you know what is the interesting thing is there is a new paradigm to solve that. It's called the customer. You know, we're in in a world where there's a renewed focus on on customer, making sure you understand what is the the you know there's different frameworks. What's the job that needs to be done for that customer, or, or human led design? What you know, what does the customer feel and want in that moment? What are their problems? All of those are really uh, almost a, a cultural way, whether it's geographic culture or whether it's corporate culture it is just a way to bridge and and you know take out the egos out of the equation take out the biases out of the equation just look at something objectively and that that something is the customer what do they need and how do we solve it together what do you bring what do i bring uh, and and how do we make this work
0: so if you had infinite budget and 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 we said okay you sit at the table with with your chinese counterpart Big picture, how would you, how would you structure that? What, what would you say, I'm good at this, you're good at that, and this is how we, we attack the market?
1: It, it, it's, very, it's very difficult because it's, it, it's so hypothetical. It, it, you would really need to think about it on a case-by-case basis and what are the risks and the rewards of each of those deals. As a starting principle, for me, it is about having real skin in the game. Now, in certain deals, real skin is 50%. In other deals, real skin is only 20%. It doesn't matter. But, but you really need both parties to be very interested in it. The, you know, the, and, and there's different nuances and motivations behind this. If in the UK, um, as an example, or, if, or in the West, if you have... A bias towards protecting your own because you've got these large businesses and these large business models, you've really got to be transparent and understanding of that motivation, right? You are not going to be as risk-taking as some of your uh, potential, some of your Asian colleagues who, who feel that we, we have enough money, we've grown fast enough, we are just going to give it a go. And that is a, is a subtle nuance and, and executives tend to underplay that a lot. It is huge, and and while you're in the um, what I call the initiation, discovery, and inception phases, where the honeymoon of any deal, you're still building it, and it's still all wonderful then those nuances don't really interplay on the situation and, and, and they are easily forgotten. But there is always going to be a moment when suddenly those forces have a disproportionate impact on your joint venture or your deal or, or your partnership, whichever way you legally structure it. And unless you plan for those in, in, in eventualities right from the start, you, you're going to have a problem. And my, my fear in all of this and what I'm trying to advocate always when, when we have these deals is if you're going to try and dance with a partner and it's that culturally different, you have one shot. If you, know, if, if you fall out in a big way just after the honeymoon, it doesn't really set up the marriage for, for lasting a long time. So you have to plan for those. Um, and even more importantly, you have to bake them into the deal that you structure. What is going to happen when suddenly you're going to get to that point about do we go aggressive or not? Um, and you have competing um, cultural biases.
0: at the end of the day if if you had to to paint a dream scenario would 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 you what would be more exciting for you? Would it be partnering with with a Chinese counterpart and attacking the western markets or or would it be partnering with a Chinese counterpart and going into the into the chinese market and where 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 would you see And again, this is a leading question and I realize it, but I mean, where would you see the greater risk reward and what at the end of the day do you think would be more transformational in terms of you coming out of that saying, you know what, I really moved the needle?
1: I see opportunities both ways, and and it really depends on the specific situation. It's, It's hard, again, to speculate conceptually. But, you know, just as we've been talking thematically, I think there's huge opportunity to bring some of the Western experience, the sophistication in, you know, again, if we stay close to home in insurance, the sophistication in our data analytics, our pricing, our underwriting claims and claims management, there's huge opportunity taking that to the East. Um, you know, and in partnering on that basis, there's a great opportunity. Um, not only is Asia growing it, in its own right and, and new wealth being created, penetration rates are still very low. There's a huge opportunity still there. But vice versa, I can also see a huge opportunity of taking some of the Asian technology and customer experience advantages they, they have and exporting that to the West. So, so again, uh, you know, I don't want to exclude either of the two. It depends on which customer segment, which customer problem, and, and what's your, your strategy. Where, where do you have a right to play?
0: And where, where again, given your your experience, you know, working with an insurance company today, having sat across the table from from your counterparts and quote unquote competitors in in China, do you let, let's assume you weren't able to come to a situation where you could collaborate and work together, all things being equal, and and because this came up with with another guest when we were talking about the difference in political systems. All things being equal, if you take away all the legacy problems and everything, if, if, if you and your counterpart were given a standing start and said, go, who at the end of the day do you think would, would cross the finish line first and or would cross it first with, with greater mass and scale? Would, would it be yourself? And again, assuming a clean start, you know, so no legacy issues, balance sheet issues or anything like that. Um, is it even a fair fight, even, even if you started equally? <laughs>
1: Wow, that's a that's an interesting question. So, uh, I'll, I'll, I'll share with you. I have a very personal philosophy, which is the trier wins. He who tries will win eventually. Right. So, if if you look at it cold, then I, I this is not about. Uh, scaremongering but i really believe that you know giving the ability to experiment and try and give it a go and explore the east has a very real advantage here there's only one caveat and that is do they have enough runway to make it right the insurance has been protected for uh, centuries because of the barriers to entry. It's very capital intensive. If you lose, you lose big, and, and you can lose infinitely to to some extent. Um, you know, so you you need some very big and brave pockets. And also, insurance works in cycles. So you need to be able to stand the test of time. You need to be able to ride this wave out. It's it's in in some uh, regards structurally more. Um, uh, strenuous than other other markets and you also have regulatory uh, pressures and economic changes and so forth but if you if you can believe that somehow the east can manage enough runway enough money to figure it out then they have an advantage on that basis
0: there were there were two things and and i apologize for asking you a loaded question there. there there were two things that that were brought to my attention that I thought were fascinating. One was to to your point about IP. uh, I was having a discussion with with another guest about the Middle East and they said that what was interesting when you looked at the big oil companies when they came in and they brought all of this equipment and infrastructure and the engineers and everything, everything had to be imported. Like all of the equipment, materials, everything had to be imported. There There was no local ability to replicate that. And the observation they made was that they said in China, yes, they would have to import it initially, but at the same time, they were going to replicate it. They were gonna develop an industry, so they were gonna be able to build the pipes and train the people and, and, and to do that. So the first point was that the, the to, to your point, you know, there is the question of, well, how much that issue of IP becomes significant, whereas in the Middle East, they, were, they simply didn't have the ability to, to replicate it economically. In China, they can. And the second point to, to, and this again is an unfair question, where the, 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 the subtle nuance that I'm asking is, is in regards to political systems, because we, we had an earlier guest on where they said, well, one of the reasons why the West can never pass China in regards to uh, pricing is that because of the system, where then again, I'll pick on myself, in the United States, there's certain questions you can't ask because you'd have four attorneys coming to sue you. Whereas in China, they might not care about what that data is. So the idea of a social credit system and the ability to bring in all of this other intelligence to how to price things. And his point was, we, he said that, look, all things being equal, even from a civil liberties standpoint, they're going to be able to price risk so much better because they're really looking at everything. Whereas in the West, you know, we'll have religious or moral reasons why we won't look at certain things. So, so I, I, again, given that, uh, and again, I know this is an incredibly loaded question, but how, what would your advice be to, to your, your counterparts in the industry as they look at this, where you're saying, here's a counterpart that for all intents and purposes could be you tomorrow, and at the same time where you might be asking 10 questions to price a policy, he's actually going to get 14 data points
1: yeah, I mean, look. I um, sidestepping completely any comments <laughs> around the politics and, and, and so forth. I, I think it is. I look at it through a, a lens of maturity of those uh, systems. You know, if you if you think about financial services and, and the relevant regulations, um, or even other industries. It is true that in China, you've been able to innovate much faster because the, the regulations in totality wasn't as sophisticated and or onerous as, as it is in the West. But that was a point in time, you know, over the last three decades. And, and for me, the writing is on the wall as the growth uh, increases as the risk increases, the regulators are not just sitting there. They are taking active actions in, in, you know, a, as you would expect in any mature model, um, taking a, a, a non-sensitive example. So just look at what's happening with gaming. The government isn't just allowing people to have a free-for-all. They are actively looking at both their own citizens and, and, and you know, other users and the regulations around uh, screen time and, you know, for, for kids and how long they spend, they are taking action to clamp down on some of these. So, and, and, and that's quite normal from an innovation perspective. Initially, you that freedom allows you to innovate faster, grow, build the momentum and so forth. But then as these things become bigger and bigger and bigger, then governments do step in. You know, in terms of data, I think that's a different uh, question. For me, you know, data is, if you're writing a book about somebody's life, it is their life. Just because you've written a book doesn't, doesn't mean you change that. Um, so I'm a firm believer of data should be attributed to the individual and individuals should be have the power to decide what happens with their data, um, you know. And although I can't believe I'm I'm saying this, and because one things like GDPR causes a lot of business disruption and planning, we need. It's actually a good thing for customers. It is actually a good thing for for humans. I myself you know, feel good about having that ability in Europe um, and for me and for my wife and my kids and so forth. You know, and, and again, for me, that's a signal of sophistication. Data um, has been around for a long time. Companies are becoming more and more sophisticated. It's becoming more and more pervasive. And then the government realizes that actually we need to take a look at this. And, and I, I, I can see that will happen over time uh, in the East as well.
0: And if you can indulge me in one last question for the the trove of hedge fund guys that are going to be listening to this, and and will probably reach out to to uh, offline get more commentary from you on this, so you made a, a fairly deliberate decision in terms of the industry that you're in. So on the face of it, you know nobody would ever think that insurance is sexy or interesting, and yet you're deliberately choosing to be in it. And and I know for a second you could easily be anywhere you would like to, given the experience you've had on the digital side. Why insurance? Why aren't you sitting at a conference in the money management industry? You know, there, there have been uh, Standard Life, for example, acquired or merged with Aberdeen. Um, there's been a, a, an interesting dialogue and debate now in financial services that there will be more consolidation coming to the insurance side. Uh, ironically, we're not talking to you as an asset management firm. We're talking to you as an insurance company, as an, in, as an innovator and, and disrupting. I mean, why is that? that? That, that, seems completely counterintuitive. And, and if in fact it is a truth, which again, I know you've made a deliberate decision to be in the industry, what would you be advising our wall street colleagues as they listen to this? That is that, is this a trend that's going to continue? And do you see this as inevitable, That more companies such as yours today are going to go through the same type of iteration and process
1: yeah i'll give you a a heart and a head reason um (laughs) the 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 personal reason the heart reason for me was uh, at the age of i think i was 20 21 um i i grew up with uh you know some financial challenges and so forth my mom was a single mom and after 17 years in investing in a retirement annuity the actual valuation of the annuity was less than the value of the cash she put in. Mm. And and that just was such a, it was at a time when she wanted, we, we needed to draw down on that policy and we couldn't and it was just unbelievable. So it caused such a big um personal moment that it, it created this deep, deep, deep dissatisfaction with the industry and just saying, this can't be right. Come on, guys. Um, you know, so I, th- there's something in me which is about the mission to go and solve that. But the, the head reason, the, the career reason, the lens I'm looking at this is I've got a passion for financial services. And, you know, although this the last half a decade or so has been very focused on fintech around banks payments and transfers and and, and those kind of things they are the lower hanging fruit but insurance is the bigger fruit right for me it's the five trillion dollar business and industry which hasn't really been turned on its head Um, It is deeply dysfunctional. And and my hypothesis is that there's 30 to 50% waste in the entire value chain end to end, if you take all the way from acquisition through to claims management and everything that's in between. And technology is the perfect democratizer of all. It, it breaks down those inefficiencies. And yes, it's, it's, not, it's not a big gorilla that steps in and punches us in the face, but it's millions of little piranhas that are chewing away at this industry. Um, now, the other hard lesson I had to personally eat some humble pie, because I advocated that the insurance industry is going to be disrupted as many others. The truth is, it's going to take longer than what I expected and I think most others as well um, because of those barriers to um uh, to entry because of the uh the nature the sheer sheer risk averseness of of the industry it is going to take longer but you know if I'm speaking to CFOs or investors or asset managers um, you know it in my mind it is inevitable that that inefficiency in the value chain will be eliminated by technology and I want to be part of the answering how and when will that happen
0: well it, it, amazing and and again thank you for your candor I think that that it, what I find so interesting is the how counterintuitive this discussion has been so somehow, we've positioned insurance as a thought leader which again is not what what most folks would assume and and andres again i i think we did a uh, candidly i think we just tapped the beginning of a of an ongoing conversation we could have because here we haven't even uh, begun to tactically talk about some of the issues we we could talk about the geographies and local markets forever so first off, I, I want to thank you for your time here today. This has been incredible. Uh, for our listeners, we will we will have this up on iTunes very, very shortly. Um, and in addition to that, Andres will be available on our Slack group and community. So if you have questions or comments, you can reach out to him there. And Andres, if you don't mind, that's my passive aggressive way of saying that we're going to figure out a way to get you on the show again if you'll indulge us.
1: <laughs> we're happy to. Thanks, Frank.
0: Thank you, sir. And for our listeners, again, thank you very much. And uh, that'll be it for this week's edition of Unhedged. And as always, we'll talk to you again next week. Have a great weekend.